And so we're talking about the beauty that God cultivates when we learn to walk together in community. And so look to your neighbor and say, I want to walk together with you. Some of you, you could try it romantically. You could shoot your shot. I don't know. But that's kind of what we're diving into today. So I want us to open us up. I'm going to start right from 2 Corinthians 7, 4 through 7. And this is what Paul writes. He says this, I have spoken to you with great frankness. I take great pride in you. I am greatly encouraged. In all our troubles, my joy knows no bounds. For when we came into Macedonia, we had no rest But we were harassed at every turn, conflicts on the outside, fears within. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus, and not only by his coming, but also by the comfort you had given him. So we find Paul, he's in Macedonia, he's coming into the city, and it says here that he's discouraged. He's tired, he's weary, he's afraid, he's been beaten down, he's being harassed all around, inside and out. But something happens. What does the passage say? It says, Titus shows up. See, when Titus shows up, something changes. It's not the same. And Paul says, when Titus comes, I'm greatly encouraged and I'm comforted. In other words, had it not been for Titus... Paul wouldn't have gotten the comfort and the encouragement that he needed to continue on. The comfort and the encouragement that he needed in that moment. The strength that he needed to continue what God had him to do. If Titus had not shown up, Paul might not have had the strength to go on. Let me ask you something. Can you think of a moment in your life where had it not been for this person coming into your life, strengthening you, encouraging you. You don't know if you would have made it. Can you think of a moment in your life where when someone came in, you were never the same? Something that they did for you, maybe it was an encouragement, maybe it was a word, maybe it was a prayer, maybe it was a prophetic word, maybe it was something they did to help meet your needs. Can you think of a time when someone, had it not been for that person, you would never have gotten the strength that you needed to continue on? I, um, I love this movie called Butterfly Effect. I don't know why. I love horror movies. I love taking our church members to these really twisted horror movies. I don't know. I'm, there's something wrong with me. I shouldn't be a pastor. But anyway, I love Butterfly Effect. It's this mind trip of a movie where Ashton Kutcher, of all people, he finds a way to go back in time to these key moments in his life. And he discovers that when he goes back into the past, every little thing that he changes has big ramifications for how the future is affected. And I don't know why I was thinking about this movie when I was writing this sermon. I think about if I could go back to key moments in my life, moments where it had one little thing changed, I would not be the same person that I am today. And every moment that I could think of involves someone lifting me up, someone coming alongside me. Every moment that I think of, had that gone a little differently, is tied to someone coming alongside me, encouraging me, strengthening me. I think about my second grade teacher who pulled me aside during recess and shared the gospel with me. I wouldn't be where I am today had it not been for that moment. I think about my youth pastor who took this raging hormone of a teenager who walked beside me and discipled me. I would not be where I am today had it not been for that person. I think about my college pastor who during my angstiest, most depressed season of life came alongside me and discipled me. I think about these key moments where I had a Titus 
who came alongside me, encouraged me, gave me comfort so that I could go on. We see Paul writes later in Hebrews 10, this is what he says, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. I know um, Christians, pastors love to use this passage. Do not give up the habit of meeting together. We want you here on Sundays. We want you at community groups. We need the attendance. But do you know why he's saying this? Paul says, don't give up meeting as some are in the habit of doing. Don't stop gathering. Don't stop getting together. Why? Because he says, what's going on when they meet? What's happening when they get together? He says this, they're encouraging one another. They're spurring one another on toward love, encouraging more one another as the day approaches. And I think one of the things that we don't do enough intentionally anymore is encourage one another when we gather together. When we get together on Sundays, are people leaving encouraged? When we get together in our community groups, are people leaving encouraged? When I grab lunch with someone, are they leaving encouraged? You know, I think about six years ago, I can't believe it's been six years, almost to the day, um, Isaac came into this building for the first time. It was the first time, actually I met him once before, but I didn't remember that. But he came in for the first time in this building. He walked through those doors. And I remember that was our first preview service for the last church we were launching. And my pastor at the time called him out in the middle of service and gave him this prophetic word. And he left encouraged and he came back ever since. And he's been with me ever since six years ago, Isaac, can you believe it? Hallelujah. All right. But we think about moments like that. When people come into church, are they leaving strengthened? Are they leaving encouraged? Is there some, some way that they're leaving different than when they came in? And one of the marks of healthy engagement in the early church was this question, are people leaving each other encouraged? And I love how this just wasn't the responsibility of the pastor or the worship leader. It was the responsibility of every member to make sure that whoever comes in this gathering, when we get together, that they're not going to leave discouraged. They're not going to leave weary or tired. They're going to leave encouraged and full of strength. So what does encouraged mean? Encouragement mean in the Bible. If we look at the word encourage, it's actually a compound word. The prefix N, which means into, right, to put into, and the word courage, which could mean confident or brave or strong. And so think of it this way. What does it mean to encourage someone? To encourage means to put courage into someone else. You might be thinking, Pastor Mickey, I don't need courage. Like, I'm not doing anything crazy. I'm not doing anything risky. Why do I need courage? Courage, what do we need courage for? And I'm like, um, everything. Like, we need courage just to wake up in the morning. I don't know how, how much it takes for you to get up in the morning and get your day started. We need courage for everything. Courage to wake up in the morning. Courage to get up and try again. Courage to continue on. Courage to trust in God after disappointment, after disappointment, after disappointment. Courage is necessary. What encouragement means is to put courage into someone else to continue their lives, to continue walking with God, to continue in faithfulness. Um, as you could tell, I'm, I'm not fully recovered. I got COVID two weeks ago, last week, um, no, a week and a half ago. 
Uh, my mom came over to watch Zion while Krista and I went out on a date. And we've been doing this thing called neighborhood dates where every Monday we're actually going to go to a different neighborhood in the city. We're going to eat at a restaurant there, do an activity. So last Monday we went to uh, Bernal Heights and we went down these famous slides and um, you get a cardboard box and you go down. It was hella fast, but it was so fun. Anyway, my mom watched Zion that day. Two days later, my mom calls me and says, I tested positive for COVID. And so we're like, oh, shoot. But we felt like, okay. So we started testing. We're all negative. We're okay. That night, um, Zion develops this crazy fever. He got up to like 103.8 degrees. They say 104 is like the red zone where you should actually take him into the ER. Um, but we got him down to like 103, and we put him down that night. And at about 10.58 p.m., I'm taking a shower. And it was, it was God. It was divine because right before I put on the shampoo, Krista calls me while I'm in the showers. Like, Krista never calls me while I'm in the showers. You know, say, I love you. Like, what's she doing? She calls me and says, Zion's having a seizure right now. And so I literally run out of the shower. I run into the room, and Zion, my wife had got him on his side, and he was, he was coming out of the seizure, and he started crying, and he was so hot. He was sweaty. So we called the ER. We went into the hospital, and they, they told us it was febrile seizures or something, which is fairly common, one out of 10 babies. So when you guys have kids, one out of 10 babies might get it when they have really high fevers, and it's just their body of regulating the temperature. Um, and so it's nothing long-term that's dangerous or anything like that, but it was still scary for us. And so I remember we went home, and we were still like, maybe we didn't catch it because we weren't around my mom. But Zion, he was so sick. He was like coughing, had all this snot, still had the fever. We were giving him medicine. And then the next day, Krista and I start getting symptoms for COVID. You know, I used to think it's hard enough taking care of myself when I'm sick, but then we had to take care of a baby while he was sick, while we were sick, and we were dying. We lost taste. We lost smell. Couldn't breathe. We were coughing. We had fevers. I was shaking in bed. I was drugged up on NyQuil. I just was barely making it. But you know what? Throughout those few days that was literally hell on earth, we got so many messages from church members. We literally got so much DoorDash credit that we, we don't know what to do with it. Like, we still have some right now. We got showered with so much love, so many encouraging messages, so many gifts of encouragement. And you know what? Those were more than just little DoorDash credits. Those are more than just little words. You were pouring courage into us to continue on, to say, we can go another day. We can get better. We can take care of each other. We could get over this. It was courage. You were pouring courage into us. And that is the power of encouragement. It's not this cute word like positive, encouraging, K-love. Let me give you some nice words of affirmation. No, you are pouring courage into someone when you encourage them. See, when Paul was encouraged by Titus, it wasn't just a shallow pep talk. He was putting courage back into Paul. He's saying, Paul, do you remember your mission? Do you remember who you are? You can go back out there. We're going to hold you up. We're going to strengthen you so you can continue doing what God's called you to do. And hear me, church, if we hope to be the kind of people that God has called us and created us to be, we need people around us who are putting courage into us again and again and again. Look to your neighbor and say, I need your courage. Dang, that was sad, y'all. Look to your other neighbor and say, I need your courage. You know, preachers do that to make sure uh, church members are awake, but really it's more for us to make us feel more confident. So thank you guys. How many of you know that every community is an incubator for something? 
That is, there's something growing and maturing and being cultivated in every community, whether that's good or it's bad. And some communities are incubators for things like love and peace or freedom. Other communities, they might be incubators for religion or anxiety or even fear. Maybe you could think of moments where you've been in communities that incubator cultivate such things. The scary thing is this. Whether communities realize it or not, they are incubating something. They're creating something. They're cultivating something. Something is maturing in the midst of them, whether they understand it or not, whether they, they could put their finger on it or not, whether they're intentional about it or not. And more often than not, if a community isn't intentional about what they're cultivating in the midst of themselves, then oftentimes they end up cultivating the worst things about that culture. And the question that I want to ask you is this, what is 99 cultivating? That is, if a new person, is anyone new here today, by the way? I know you're new. Anyone else? Yeah, a couple new people. When these new people walk in, what is it that they're experiencing? What about our community are they gleaning from being among us? And the question is, what is our community cultivating? Because if we look at the early church, one of the things that they were constantly cultivating and incubating in the midst of themselves is encouragement encouragement was growing and maturing in the context of their community. It was being cultivated in their relationships. It was seeping into every day of community life, but it didn't just happen. It didn't just happen unintentionally. When they got together, they made an intentional effort to make sure every single believer in the gathering, in the midst of them, left encouraged. I love a pastor puts it this way. Encouragement is what the gospel feels like as it moves from one believer to another. That is the tweetable line for today. Encouragement is what the gospel feels like as it moves from one believer to another. It's the good news of the gospel made alive in our senses. It's something we tangibly experience through community. And more importantly, it's how we experience God through one another. Listen, I might not be able to feel the physical arms of God wrap around me, but I feel it through the hug of a friend. I might not be able to audibly hear the words of God speak over me, but I, but I hear it through the words of the prayers of the person next to me. Encouragement is love in motion. One of my best friends, we were at a retreat and he was getting wrecked. He was crying at the altar on the last night as you're supposed to do. And he was just down. He was praying. He was crying. And I remember I just felt this tug in my heart, Mickey, Go hug your friend as he's praying, like a weird Christian, right? And so I walk up next to him, and as he's crying and praying, I give him a hug. And it was like, I don't know, I I put gas to the fire or something, but he started weeping profusely as soon as I put my arms around him. I was like, yeah, God's doing something. Later, um, he came up to me. He's like, hey, Mickey, you know, when I was crying during prayer, um, it actually wasn't God. I was just really sad, and um, I was in a really low moment. And I remember asking God in my prayer, God, I want to feel your love. I haven't felt your love for the longest time. And he said, Mickey, the moment you put your arm around me was the moment I was praying that prayer where I was like, God, I want to feel your love. I can't feel it. And then I felt your arms around me. And at first I looked back and I thought, is that actually God? And I was a little disappointed. It was just you, Mickey. But then I really leaned into the moment after that. And I think sometimes we, we want the love of God. We want to hear God. 
But sometimes we need a physical representation. We need some sort of reality here on earth to experience these supernatural realities, to really tap into what God is doing in the midst of us. And so I want to use the remainder of our time by answering this question. How is encouragement supposed to be expressed in our togetherness? That is, what does encouragement look like as we gather together? And I want to leave you with three things. The first thing is this. Encouragement feels like comfort. It feels like comfort. Like the coffee that we had today. That was amazing, by the way, Josh. It feels like a warm cup of coffee on a cool San Francisco evening. Actually, you don't drink coffee in the evening, Hugh. That's how you know I don't drink coffee. Encouragement feels like comfort. If we look at 2 Corinthians 7, 7, but God who comforts the downcast comforted us by the coming of Titus and not only by his coming, but also by the comfort you had given him. The question is, who are those in the midst of us that need comforting? I think oftentimes it's the one who's tired from a long week of work. It's the person who's grieving the loss of a family member. It's the person who just lost their job or who's interviewing for new jobs. It's the person who's depressed but doesn't know why. It's the person that feels visionless and purposeless and directionless in life. It's the person who feels lonely. Who are the people around us that need comfort? I find that there are people all around us, all the time, who are in need of comfort. And if we were to be honest with ourselves, we're often too busy or too comfortable to step out of ourselves to comfort another person. It says Paul was comforted by the presence of Titus. His presence changed something. Let me ask you something, church. Do you make your presence count? That is, when you show up to a place, do you make your presence count? count. Jacob, when you walk through those doors, do you make your presence count? Vanessa, when you come into Verde Club on Sunday morning, do you make your presence count? Does your presence change something in the gathering, in the atmosphere, or are you in and out so quick that you could barely make a difference? Or are you so closed off to others, emotionally unavailable, that you have nothing, no resonance or connection with anyone around you? And listen, I'm not asking you to be positive, encouraging, K-love all the time. I know I love to use that example. It's the only thing I could think of. But I'm not asking you to be the super Christian that's always encouraging people. Hey, brother. Hey, sister. Hope you're having a blessed day. I'm not asking you to be something you're not. But it doesn't take much to comfort someone who's in need. There was a few years ago where a church member came up to me after service and told me, you know, I came to church today for the first time in a long time because I felt like I just needed God. I wanted to feel his presence. I wanted to feel his comfort in his embrace. And so she was telling me, so I sat through worship and nothing. And then I was thinking, okay, maybe through the sermon. I sat through the sermon and nothing. And by that time, I was kind of, I was a little like offended because I led worship that day and I preached. I was like, dang, all right. But she said this, but then after service, right as I was walking out the door, someone came up to me, introduced themselves to me and asked me, how are you doing? And she said in that moment, she didn't know why, but she started tearing up. And she said in that moment, that's when I felt the comfort and the presence of God, not in the worship, not in the word. But in that moment when someone simply, probably it was a greeter who was just doing their job saying, how are you doing? That was all it took. 
And not to say, like, I hope you guys are blessed during worship and throughout the sermon, you know. I hope you get comfort and encouragement through these things. But there's something powerful when the people of God take on the responsibility to say, it's not just up to the worship leader or the pastor to encourage the people around me. That's my responsibility, too. And all it takes sometimes is how are you doing? So do you notice those around you who are in need of comfort? Do you make your presence count every time you show up? What if every Sunday we came to church, not just to receive, but we said, when I show up, I'm going to make sure my presence counts. That there is someone that needs encouragement that I will give it to. There's someone that I could pray for. There's someone I could get to know. There's someone that I could lift up. What if every single person came on Sunday with this conviction that I want to make my presence count when we get together. How amazing would our gatherings be? And so the first one, encouragement feels like comfort. The second, encouragement sounds like words of affirmation. First Thessalonians 5, 10 through 11. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you are doing I've learned that nothing builds up or tears down quite like words do. You know, you might have heard heard the saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words may never hurt me. That is total BS, isn't it? Right? The bloody nose that I got from Jerwin Bebe in first grade, that healed completely. But the words that were spoken over me while I was growing up, I'm still dealing with to this day. Words are powerful. They have the capacity for life or for death. And encouragement sounds like speaking life into someone. Encouragement sounds like speaking destiny or identity. Encouragement looks like affirming who God's created someone to be. Father Richard Rohr, who's an amazing church father, he says this, life is not a matter of creating a special name for ourselves, but of uncovering the name we have always had. Come on, that went over some of y'all. Life is not a matter of creating a special name for ourselves, but of uncovering the name we've always had. Do you know there's a name that God gave you from the beginning of time, from the moment you step foot on this earth? There is a name, an identity, a person that God sees you, created you to be, called you to be, that you don't have to work up in this lifetime, but you simply have to uncover because it's who you've been all along. See, I love that Jesus didn't use his words telling people what they already knew about themselves. He didn't waste his breath repeating to others the names that they had received their entire lives. When he spoke to people, he called something out of them that they didn't even realize was there. Something that had been uncovered, something that had been buried. He brought it forth and said, this is actually who you are. This is who God has created you to be. How many of you know that most people already know what's wrong with themselves? Come on, you look in the mirror and you can see 10,000 flaws, but you look at someone else and you think they're beautiful. That's often what happens. We see the worst parts of ourselves. We are aware of how broken, how fallen, how short we've fallen, how weak we are. We're already familiar with the names that we've been receiving our entire lives, failure, sinner, afraid, dirty, weak, whatever it might be, the names that were given us to this world. Tell people something better. Tell them something that they don't know. Tell them something about what God says about them. Tell them who they are and who God has created them to be. Hear me, church. I wouldn't be who I am, where I am today, had it not been for people that looked past the names that the world has given me and affirmed who God has created me to be. Um, In 
I don't know how else to describe it. In college, I was a bit of an attention whore where I just needed to be at the center of attention. I just needed, so I would act out. I would do these crazy things in my college ministry so people could laugh at me and so all eyes could be on me. That's just the kind of person that I was. And so I had this reputation. I was kind of like the jokester in the group that I did these crazy and funny things. And that was kind of like the identity that I took on. I remember my college pastor, she sat me aside one day and she was praying for me. And she said, she said this in the most non-offensive way that I can imagine, but it sounds kind of bad. She says, Mickey, the best thing that you can offer the world isn't entertainment. You're not a dancing monkey. There's depth and wisdom to you. And I remember something about hearing those words, because to everyone else, I was just that person that made everyone laugh or like did silly things. But hearing those words, it awakened something in me. It's like, yes, there's more to me than just the ability to make people smile or laugh. There is depth, there is wisdom flowing out of me. The question I want to ask you is this, do you use your words to build up? Do you affirm people's God-given identities? You know, there are people that when you just sit with them or go out to eat with them, you know, you just leave encouraged. Do you know those people? Like every time you walk away from them, you just feel built up. Like, and you know what the X factor is? It's, it's when we sit with people and we see them for who they really are and we call it out of them. What if every time I got together with Kevin, like Kevin would unlock a piece of my identity. He would speak into or reaffirm who God has created me, me to be. What if every time Josh and I went to see an A24 movie in the movie theater with our AMC A-list pass, what if every time we got together, we would spend at least a moment just encouraging and calling out the person that God has created you to be. Josh, do you know how creative you are? Do you know how brilliant you are? Like, what if we could do that for one another? We would become the people that God has called us to be. So encouragement sounds like words of affirmation, but the last thing is this. Encouragement, it looks like it needs being met. Acts 2, 44 to 45. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Are you close enough to people to actually know what's going on in their lives? to know their needs and their desires, to know their struggles. I think in our individualistic society here in America, your problem is your problem and my problem is my problem, right? That's the Western way of thinking. But in the early church, if you saw someone with a need in your community, it wasn't just their responsibility anymore. All of a sudden, it became yours. It became your burden to help carry. In other words, we're not okay until all of us are okay. I think one of the things that has kept me going as a pastor is seeing our community minister to one another through the meeting of needs. I mean, these past few years have been tumultuous. That's an understatement. But seeing people in the midst of family tragedies and funerals like give or support one another, seeing people in the midst of losing jobs and transition, seeing people support one another, getting people gigs, getting people a foot in the door, seeing people meet each other's needs, help each other out is one of the things that has been the most life-giving for me as a pastor. You know, even the fact that on Sundays we like to go out for meals after service. Do you know there are people in our community that That's not easy for them to do every single week, especially going to like farmhouse, yo, like farmhouse, like 30 bucks a plate, 40 bucks a plate. That is ungodly, man, ungodly. 
Even like when we go out, like if we go watch a movie, for some people it's not easy for them to do those things. What if we could put our ear to the ground of our community and see what are some of the needs? And it's not like a a stance of pity, but it's like how can I encourage my brother or my sister? How can I step in to fill a need when there is one? There's a pastor that once got in front of a group of people and he asked three questions. He says, this, these three questions will tell me everything about how you're following God's greatest commandments, which is love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. And he says this, these three questions, these, these three questions will tell you, it will gauge how faithful you've been to those commandments. The first one is this, do you love God? The second question is this, do you love your neighbor? And the third question is this, do you mind if I ask them? That is, we all say we love God. We all say we love our neighbors. But if you were to ask your neighbor, if you were to ask your family member, if someone were to ask your friend, if someone were to ask literally your next door neighbor, how well would they say that you actually love them? How much of a presence have you been in their lives? And this is the real barometer. Are we loving each other? Are we encouraging one another, lifting each other up when we're in need? Encouragement feels like comfort. Encouragement sounds like words of affirmation. Encouragement looks like needs being met. I want to end with this one word. I was sitting with my mentor a few weeks ago. We were down in Southern California, and we were just chatting it up. And I was only supposed to go there for like 30 minutes. Ended up staying four hours, you know, when you sit with someone and something just happens. It was just one of those moments. And I was sitting with my mentor, and we started talking about this Korean word, nunchi. Do you guys know what the Korean word nunchi is? There's some Koreans in here, right? right? Nunchi is quite a unique word. There's not really an equivalent for it in the English language that fully captures what it means. But the closest we could get is um, maybe intuition or even um, like emotional intelligence or the ability to read a room. Nunchi is like the subtle art of gauging other people's moods. We might call it emotional intelligence, like I said, or the ability to read a room. It's like a sixth sense. It's a social sensitivity to what others are communicating indirectly. And so an example of Nunchi, it might be, you know, you're out with a friend after work and you had made plans to go watch a movie after dinner, but you sense without anything being communicated, oh, they're really tired. They had a long day and they're over it. And so you suggest after you eat dinner, someone with Nunchi might pick that up and say, hey, why don't we watch a movie another time? Let's just go home and call a night and rest. That's Nunchi. Um, an example of a lack of Nunchi might be you're sitting in a group, right? And you've all been here and someone tells that joke and it is mad uncomfortable. Like it's just an inappropriate joke. It makes the room feel like, oh, I don't know what to do. And no one's laughing, but they think they told the funniest joke in the world. That's a lack of nunchi, okay? You, you kind of get where I'm going with this. And my mentor, he was proposing that one of the biggest problems in our churches today is that people have lost the subtle art of nunchi. That is, we don't notice the person sitting by themselves, intimidated, afraid to co- start a conversation. We don't sense when someone is feeling low and in need of encouragement or comfort. We don't notice the person that's overwhelmed, the person in pain, the person feeling left out. We don't see the person who needs help. 
And as a result, we're constantly missing opportunities to love and encourage people right where they need it the most. And maybe what we need isn't more programs or community groups or altar calls. Maybe what we need is to wake up. Maybe what we need is a new sensitivity to the spirit that allows us to read the room and see the one who needs our presence, sees the one who needs our prayer, sees the one who needs our encouragement and our strength. Maybe what we need to recapture in the church is Nunchi. You know who has really good Nunchi? Jerry. You know, Sundays, okay, kind of embarrassing, but Sundays, me and my wife, like, you know, we often don't go out to lunch with you guys because we got to take care of our baby. But Sundays, usually we spend our lunch just like gushing about you guys. I, I just want you to know that. Like, we'll, we'll, we'll eat together. We'll be like, oh man, did you see Josh today? Like, Josh was so nice today. He brewed a really good cup of coffee. Did you see Steph today, the way he, she held Zion? But one thing that we, we always come back to Jerry. And we noticed Jerry, he, I don't know if you realize you did this, but how much it meant to us. But when we first started bringing Zion to church, after church every Sunday, even though Jerry's busy on production, running around, putting things away, he would always go up to Krista and ask, is there anything you need? Can I help you with Zion in any way? Do you want me to hold him? Do you want me to grab you something? And he did that every single time. And I know a lot of you guys do that too, but for some reason, Jerry, we just noticed every Sunday. And it's like, we didn't need to say, hey, can someone hold our baby? Or hey, can someone grab us a cup of water? Or can someone help us with this? Jerry had Nunchi. He picked up that there was a need that needed to be met. He, he didn't have to hear the words from us, but he had Nunchi. You know, we noticed that with so many people in our community that, that just pick up these things that we don't even have to communicate. Like, we've been walking together for a while now, this front row. Like, we've been together for many years. You guys just know. Like, I don't have to say a thing. You just pick up when something is needed. And that's what God has called us to be as a community. Not that we don't express our needs or try to mind read, but, but there is this intentional effort when we get together, Holy Spirit, what is some way that I could help someone? What is some way I could lift, uplift someone? What is some way I can encourage someone? And so I found this Instagram post a while back. It's kind of making its rounds, kind of getting popular. So I don't really like it anymore because I like, you know, to be unique and stuff. But there's this Instagram called Raised to Stay. And uh, they had this really cool post a while back. And they said this, a few ways to be the church at church. And I love this. And um, if you're looking for a way, how can I practice encouragement? These are some ways. The first thing they said, go, even if you aren't in charge, even if you're not leading prayer, leading worship, or on coffee, go, even if it isn't your week to serve. Participate, worship, welcome, be among the people. Second thing they said, bring a cup of coffee to a pastor, staff member, volunteer, congregant you know could use encouragement or a pick-me-up. By the way, I don't like coffee, so you don't have to bring me a cup of coffee, okay? I love this one. Help a mom with the crying baby, angsty toddler, or moody teen one day, hopefully. That might be Zion. Who knows? Sit with her in the lobby. Hear her story. Ask how you can help. Find someone who is new and introduce them to someone their age or similar in occupation or season in life. Ask for their email and schedule coffee that week. Last one, be present in service to pray with people after service and visit with people. Make it a goal to meet one new person and connect with a familiar face, right? It's so easy to practice this ministry of encouragement. And it takes such little effort, but it makes the biggest difference. And when I think about the kind of community I want us to be here in the city, I want when people visit 99 and they leave a Yelp review for us, I want them to say, oh my God, I left encouraged. 
And not because Pastor Mickey has a bomb word or Jacob is fire at leading worship, but, but the people, the people were so encouraging. They just knew what I needed. They strengthened me. They put courage into me so I could go back into my work week and do what God's called me to do. What if we could be that person that when people leave our presence, they say, oh, that person is just like Titus. That person, when I left that person, I left encouraged and strengthened. I want to end with the story about Barnabas. Y'all know Barnabas in the Bible, and I, I've talked about this a number of times, but when, when, when Saul had just met the Lord and he was coming into the family of God, I don't know if you know this, but he was rejected. Like no one actually trusted him because he used to persecute believers. In fact, probably many of the church at that time had someone they knew, whether it's siblings or friends or neighbors, who had been on the receiving end of the persecution of Saul and his campaign. And so people were reluctant to welcome Saul into the crew, right? He, they were reluctant to bring them into the fold. Everyone looked at Saul, and they saw a persecuting murderer. But there was a man named Barnabas who, when he looked at Saul, he saw a transformed man of God, right? Everyone looked at Saul and saw who he used to be, but Barnabas looked at Saul and saw who he was becoming, who God had created him to be. Have you ever felt misunderstood? Have you ever felt like people only see your mistakes or see the worst parts of you? Have you ever wished people could see the real you in spite of the mistakes and the shortcomings you have? What if Barnabas had treated Saul according to the the ways that everyone else treated him, according to the names that other people had given him, even Christians, even believers? What if Barnabas had treated all the same way the world treated him. The church should be a place where we could shed off the names the world has given us, where we could check it at the door and we could come in and receive the name that God actually has for us. What if we could be that place? How many of you know that all of us need a Barnabas? We all need someone to look past our mistakes, look past the labels the world has given us, look past our sins and our flaws and call out who we truly are. You know, I know we love to hype up Paul, like Paul is amazing, but how many of you know, with, if it wasn't for Barnabas, we wouldn't have 14 books in the New Testament, right? We love to hype up Paul, but if it wasn't for Barnabas, we would have never gotten the mission trips to Europe and to Asia Minor. The gospel would have never reached the nations. You see, we love to brag about Paul and boast and hype up Paul, but it was the Barnabas in his life that actually allowed him to be who God had called him to be. Maybe most of us are just one Barnabas away from changing the world too. So I want to close with this. What is some way that you could embody the ministry of encouragement that the early church had? Maybe it is looking for someone that you could comfort. Maybe it is looking for someone who has a need. Maybe it is simply using your words to build up the person around you. And so right now, why don't we close our eyes? I want to enter into a time of response. What if we could embody this very idea that when we come together, it's more than just hearing a teaching that tickles our brains or it's more than just a feeling that we feel in the midst of worship. What if when we get together, we could actually lift each other up where I could put courage into the brother or sister to my right or my left, where I could, I could 
put courage and strength into the person that needs it the most? What if we can embody this ministry of encouragement? What if our togetherness was marked by that? I believe that one thing that God is starting to awaken right now is this idea of nunchi. I don't care if you're Korean or not. You could use this word. You have a pass. What if we could live with nunchi when we come together in the church where I could just pick up, I could sense someone is discouraged, where I could just feel someone is feeling down or low, where I could just, I could pick up someone is in need or in comfort. What if we can come into the house of God and we could say, Holy Spirit, I might be clueless in in the real world, but here in this place, would you make me sensitive to how I can encourage and lift up others? Right now, I, I... I believe God is putting a few things on some of your hearts, ways that you could embody this encouragement here in our community, here in our gatherings. Encouragement feels like comfort. Encouragement sounds like words of affirmation. Encouragement looks like needs being met. What are some ways that you can encourage someone in this house, in this community?